You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 759 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Wednesday evening into Thursday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by the good folks at Built Bar, the best tasting bar in the business. And remember to use the promo code Locked On to get $10 off on your first box of Built Bars. On today's podcast, we will start off with some news in the first half of the show. A little bit shorter on today's show because it's just me uh, catching up on some on some things here, but some news, a couple of things that are uh, pertinent to NBA interests, and then the second half of the pod will be another one of our "What If" series. Last week, last week I talked about the uh, "What If," basically on whether the Hawks could get Giannis in 2013, how close they came to, to all of that, and the fallout as a result of that. Um, and this is this is one of those network wide things for Locked On Podcast Network, and uh, the, the last week of that. So I want to touch on. A one more of those on today's podcast. We'll get into that a little bit later on. There are pretty much endless amounts of these, so I heard from some people when I asked for some feedback on which ones to touch on, and I grabbed one of those to talk about today, but that's going to be the second half of the podcast. Before we get to that, though, there, is, there are some news stories to touch on. Some pretty interesting stuff happening around the league in the last day or two. Um, the, the most Hawks-centric one of these is that Sarah Spencer of the AJC reported on Wednesday that the that Hawks players, coaches, and staff have participated in the, in the, NBA, in the NBA's coronavirus antibody study. Um, ESPN was reporting on the study at large before that. And essentially what they're trying to do is see how many people around the NBA, um, both you know players, etc., have coronavirus antibodies. Uh, baseball had a similar study to this um, already previously completed, and now the NBA is getting involved in this. It's, it's definitely a good thing to sort of test around the league and see what's going to be the results of that, but the Hawks were directly involved, so I wanted to at least touch on that briefly here at the top. Elsewhere, Tim Bonseps of ESPN, um, a former guest of this podcast, by the way, shout out to Tim, uh, reported on Monday afternoon that the lottery formula for the NBA draft and the format of the, of the lottery itself is expected to remain the same. There have been some speculation, maybe some wishing from Hawks fans, etc., or at least other fan bases and sub circles that uh, things what things might change based on the weirdness here when it comes to the uh, you know the hiatus and what, whether teams are going to be playing all their games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I'm, I'm going to quote Tim here now on this one. Quote: The belief among several executives is that the lottery will remain as scheduled before the pandemic. End quote, which basically just means that nothing's going to be changing. It's kind of what I've assumed the entire time. I thought it was pretty noteworthy because the Hawks are a lottery-bound team. Uh, teams have played enough in terms of uh, what Tim reported for a representative sample. And even if uh, it would likely sort of change down the stretch of the if they kept playing the whole 82 games, there isn't really an argument to be made according to the reporting here, and I would agree with this that uh, not enough games have been played to sort of fairly set the order. Um, the flattened odds from last year. Uh, still apply now. That was the big change that we talked about ad nauseum before last year's lottery. But um, you know, basically they're just flatter than ever before at this point in time. And uh, I guess that makes makes it a little bit more palatable because there's not really this huge advantage for getting into the top three the way there used to be in that way. And by the way, as a refresher here, if nothing else happens in terms of regular season games, which is up for debate as we'll talk about here here in a second, the Hawks will enter the lottery at, um, at least if it's right now with the fourth best lottery odds. That would give them a 12.5% chance of the number one pick and a 48.1% chance to land in the top four somewhere. We will obviously touch more on that when it's all set in stone, but that's where the Hawks are at this point in time. 
And uh, it is, is, I will say this, it appears that the, that the draft could be on hold for quite a long while uh, and that's as we transition to the fact that um, the NBA could be firing up again in the near future. A, a prominent report today um, surfaced on Wednesday from Sham Sharania and Sam Amick of The Athletic citing that Orlando and uh, specifically Disney World is now the, quote, clear frontrunner to host NBA games if the league resumes play for this season. They report said that the location uh, down there in Orlando has gained significant seriousness. That's a direct quote from them. And uh, in terms of more from that story, I'm going to read you a longer piece from Shams and Sam Amick. Quote, it remains unclear when the games would begin, but multiple sources say the prospect of players fully training in mid-June and playing by mid-July has been the most popular and possible scenario discussed. End quote. So, you know, that's kind of a timeline that makes some sense. It's also about the same timeline that baseball is on right now if they were to restart, which is certainly noteworthy to me anyway. But uh, about a month to ramp things up if it were to happen. Um, the league is still reportedly exploring stuff with multiple cities, but the athletic piece did say that it was, quote, likely, end quote, that Orlando would be the sole host if it actually happened. Nothing finalized at this point in time, but I think, um, at least according to all the reporting that was out there today, that seems to be um, the centerpiece here. And by the way, Keith Smith of Yahoo and other places um, – who shed a lot of light on this originally uh, about Disney being um, a big-time player with sort of an in-depth proposal that he put out for how it would work. He reported on Wednesday that Disney World um, has begun the early stages of reworking some of their hotel spaces for housing the NBA. That's a that's a quote from, from Keith. Also, he cited a source from Disney saying that they were, quote, confident, end quote, that they would be hosting the NBA in some fashion. And uh, there's still hurdles to cross here was the other part of that reporting. But it seems like all systems are go when it comes to um, at least approaching Disney and maybe negotiating and see how that's seeing how that's all going to go at this point in time. A lot of people have cited this already. But I'll say it again here. Disney's a private property. Um, Disney World, I should say, it's a private property. That's kind of appealing for NBA teams because it'd be a lot easier to restrict access to that property than it would be like in Vegas or other places like that as they try to sort of maintain some level of a uh, bubble setting. And also, in addition, this can't be ignored either. The NBA and Disney are already partners because of the relationship with, with ESPN on the TV side. The NBA Finals are on ABC, which is a Disney property, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, nothing too shocking here, honestly, due to the extensive reporting on Disney previously, but definitely a good sign, in my opinion, that a restart could be gaining steam if you're if you're wanting that to happen. This seems to be uh, leaning in that direction. Um, the last thing on this particular segment is that uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe of ESPN reported on Wednesday afternoon that the NBA um, is basically supposed to be telling teams in the near future that June 1 is a date that people, uh, sorry, the franchises can sort of circle to start, quote, recalling end quote, players that went home to other markets and for organizations to be able to expand their workouts as something of a first step toward actually ramping up towards um, play. That's not official by any means, but that was some reporting that was out there, and Woj is obviously very plugged in, as well as Zach. So there's uh, some interesting takeaways to that. I would say there's obviously a lot of uncertainty with the Hawks specifically because – of course, uh, you know some of the scenarios for the restart would not involve the Hawks at all. There's a uh, there's this like sort of ongoing thing that we've, we've been talking about on the podcast already, but it sort of repopped up tonight about whether the league will go to the playoffs or whether they want to have enough um, to have regular season games, bring everybody there. There are definitely pros and cons on all sides, but. I think undeniably there is a scenario or two in which the NBA does happen without the Hawks and the Warriors and other teams that are just completely out of it. So we'll see how that goes uh, because this is a Hawks podcast. Things will be changing a little bit on this show if the NBA goes along and the Hawks do not because then it'll be sort of we're back to square one. I'm not really talking about that much, but if the Hawks get 
you know, the go ahead to go out and play for regional sports networks. There's obviously some reporting out there and a lot of people that are smart around the league talking about the fact that a lot of teams or maybe all the teams are close to them would like to get to 70 games for their regional sports networks uh, for money purposes. That's out there as well. The Hawks, I'm sure, would not hate that. But there's also the counter argument that I would make and have made that uh, it does seem a little bit silly for a team like the Hawks. that's played 67 games to go down there and play three or four games um, that are useless and pretty much uh, I know the Hawks are a young team that could sort of argue that they were trying to get um, some more information and some you know some coalescing for the future, but it's hard for me to argue from a basketball standpoint anything that would benefit for the Hawks. But the financial side is definitely important here for all of this stuff. It's probably the biggest single factor um, to have the having the NBA start playing again anyway. So that maybe that'll maybe that'll extend to the regular season as well. We will see that we'll see as that goes in the future, and I'll talk about that plenty on the podcast. But there you go on that, and that is all the news that I have right now. Before we get to the second half of the podcast, talking about the grand what if, a word from the good folks at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and there are almost endless reasons to love Built Bar. In addition to the incredible taste, Built Bar is, is perfect for anyone that is trying to be health conscious with the ability to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in something that absolutely tastes delicious. Every bar is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, and to make things even better, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and unlike some of the other offerings in this particular space, Built Bars are soft and easy to chew. My personal favorite is the banana nut bread flavor, and I can't get enough of them, honestly, but the peanut butter brownie flavor is also really enjoyable, and in fact, there are 16 amazing flavors to choose from, and they all present their own appeal that everyone can fall in love with. I would fully recommend Built Bar. In order to check out for everything for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at builtbar.com it's a perfect day to try built bar all right we'll move on to the final segment of the podcast today again a little bit shorter than usual but here we are sort of midweek episode solo show and uh this is a big what if honestly and this is one that's been litigated quite a bit probably even more than the honest one that we touched on last week but this is a about the 2005 nba draft so this time uh, i'll be diving into that i would say it's one of the biggest things in recent history for the hawks and uh, if you don't remember this draft, if you're too young to remember this draft, perhaps uh, in 2005, the Hawks had the number number two overall pick. Um, the GM at the time was Billy Knight, and the Hawks selected Marvin Williams at number two over uh, the likes of Chris Paul or even Darren Williams, another heck of a uh, prospect that was available there. And before we get to the fallout of that, there's probably a lot of fallout there. I would say there's some context that's important here. It starts with Marvin being a guy that actually was exceptionally highly rated to the point where Billy Knight was not alone at all and thinking that it was going to be the best player available pick and thinking that was Marvin. Um, for a reference point here, Chad Ford of uh, actually of this network now, but formerly of ESPN, I would say pretty clearly at the time, Chad Ford was, was by far the most prominent NBA draft insider in 2005. Uh, there was not the same level of industry that it is now in terms of the full-time draft folks out there. He actually had Marvin number one on his board, and that might seem crazy now, obviously, but a lot of a lot of people, I would say most people had Marvin in the top three or so, and uh, I think a lot of people also had Marvin and Andrew Bogut, who went number one overall in that draft, as one, two in some order. Bogut was Bogut going number one, going number one was actually pretty uh, normal. I know that obviously Chris Ball should have gone number one in retrospect, but Bogut being number one was not a big surprise at the time, et cetera, et cetera. This is a different point, I, I've said, but I'll say it again now for just for the context. I've argued for years that Marvin is not a bust by any means, and with the benefit of hindsight, I think operating as a quality NBA player for 15 years and counting 
uh, is actually pretty good value. Um, with that said, it was not the best pick the Hawks could have made. That's pretty clear. And the bigger context is that the Hawks had a desperate, desperate needed point guard um, in that moment, and that made it, made it actually um, seem even crazier in retrospect than it actually was. Um, the Hawks executed a sign trade for Joe Johnson that same summer. I will say this: it was actually after the draft when that happened, and that put that, that actually made it look even sillier because the Hawks then, you know, they're trading for and then basically almost maxing out a player that was an, another wing. Um, but even then, they had already had Boris Diaw. They sent him out in the trade. Boris was a big man eventually in San Antonio, but when he was drafted by the Hawks and deployed by the Hawks, Boris was essentially a point forward type, and uh, he was a first round pick just two years before this. Even even with all that, the Hawks invested both of their top 17 picks in the previous draft 2004 on Josh Childress and Josh Smith, and they still had Al Harrington on the roster, who was the second-leading scorer on the team the previous season and the following season, even with Joe Johnson on the roster. He had averaged 18 points a game next to uh, Antoine Walker on that awful team previous to this. Um, so with all that said, they had plenty, plenty, plenty of wings and forwards on this roster. I'm a big best player available guy, but it's worth pointing out that context that, you know, wing was not a problem necessarily for the Hawks in terms of their investments at that point in time. And even more glaringly so, the Hawks just had no point guard of the present or future on that roster. Uh, the previous season, the Hawks were using a combo of Tyron Lou and Kenny Anderson. This is the older, sort of not as uh, explosive version of Kenny Anderson as the backup point guard. Um, that previous season, and then the season after the Williams pick, it was uh, the combination of Ty Lue and Royale Ivy, which did not go very well. And uh, I will say this, everyone knew, even in the moment, uh, that's basically all the discussion was about how the Hawks had a serious needed point guard. This is not a huge um, revisionism thing. Some draft stuff is always revisionist, I understand that. But even in the moment, there was a passionate argument about how bad the Hawks needed a point guard. And even if it was not... Chris Paul, they could have gone with Darren Williams, and obviously those guys were, you know, consensus top five or so guys. It would not have been a big reach to talk about either one of them in the moment. And uh, to put it plainly, it was the wrong decision. We all know this at this point in time. Even if you were in love with Marvin, and people were, by the way, again, this is not this is not um, revisionist. Marvin was a heck of a prospect coming out in the minds of most people. With that said, they could have traded down if they didn't want to take a point guard right there. If they weren't in love with Chris Paul, which was silly, but if they weren't. The value was not great there, all that stuff. Um, in terms of fallout, it took three seasons after this for the Hawks to make the playoffs even. Uh, and that, that even takes into account that's three seasons after acquiring Joe Johnson, who was their best player for quite a while. And even then, it really took Al Horford coming on board to turn the corner towards a playoff team for this roster. It was not going to you know be fixed overnight, but still, it took them a while. It was not exactly a big surprise that it did. Um I think pretty clearly Chris Paul would have changed things quickly. Uh, he was very good even as a rookie, and even, even even when he was with the Hornets as a rookie there. Um, and by the way, they made a 20-win jump. Now, that's not all Chris Paul, but from the previous season to the next season when in Paul's rookie year, they, they won 20 more games. And it's pretty clear to me, I will say this, if Paul comes, they probably don't get Al Horford, almost certainly, because they, they would not have been so bad. Paul would have helped so much that they don't get Al. But... At the same time, a combination of Chris Paul and Joe Johnson in the backcourt is probably the best in the NBA at that point in time. If, if not within two years, it would have been because Chris Paul was, by all accounts, in my opinion anyway, was the best point guard in the league within a couple of years. Maybe you could argue Nash, etc. But he was definitely a top three guy, all-NBA level player within two years, and uh, that's worth saying. And even then, they don't even if they don't get Al, they have Josh Smith as their third best player. And I think you know it would have been pretty interesting to see how that team would have worked. It is hard 
to get into the rabbit hole all the way on how things would have been impacted because you're looking at future drafts and future moves. But to put it plainly here, the Hawks didn't even have competent point guard play for a long time. Like Jason Terry left after, after the 2003-2004 season. Jason Terry was a good player. He left, and until they, until the Hawks acquired Mike Bibby in the at the twenty uh, at the 2008, I should say, trade deadline. That's like a four and a half five year period where they were basically dreadful at point guard. And even then, Bibby was just okay. He was not his. He was he was definitely an older, less explosive version of himself. Um, you could argue they didn't have above average point guard play until Jeff Teague's prime, which was even you know quite a bit more after that. So. It was a long time. Point guard was a spot that we were, uh, people my age or older, were yelling about for the Hawks for years and years and years. And uh, because Chris Paul became Chris Paul in capital letters, it was even more glaring. But even the moment, people were arguing um, smartly, obviously, that Paul was the guy at that spot. And uh, even if they had taken Darren Williams, it would not have been as good as taking Chris Paul, but that would have been much better than the Marvin pick just because of the position and the fact that Darren Williams, uh, while his prime was not super long, was very, very good. All-star level player, obviously, uh, at his best. Um, I do think, <laughs> I'll say this, you can't assume that Chris Paul follows the exact same career path. I'm always big in context. Uh, you can't always take a guy from one spot to the other. Same with Giannis, as I said before in last week's podcast. You can't assume that Giannis would have become Giannis and become the MVP in Atlanta. But if you were to assume that Chris Paul had the same career, he's easily a top three player in Hawks franchise history, along with Bob Pettit and Dominique Wilkins. That's how good Chris Paul is. Chris Paul is an un, undisputed first ballot Hall of Famer, um, you know, elite elite level player for a very long time. He's still a great player even now. But uh, so yeah, all that said, it's just a what if that's never going to go away for Hawks fans, especially if you were. Uh, about my age, and you were diehard in 2005. That was my, I would say that's probably probably the time um, in my fandom before I really started transitioning into writing and trying to be a little bit more um, unbiased. I was a pure diehard season ticket holder Hawks fan at that point in time. I was, I was in college. And uh, yeah, I was not happy in the moment, but if you're someone my age, I think this is probably the biggest what if of um, that whole sort of generation of Hawks fans, because there were obviously others. The Giannis thing is a little bit younger, and it wasn't quite as clear because the Hawks didn't directly pass on Giannis. They didn't. They would have had to trade up in retrospect to get him, whereas the Hawks just could have taken Chris Paul. And unlike a lot of these draft scenarios where it's like, well, the the so and so franchise passed on so and so player. This time it was one that was happening in the moment. It was a much litigated decision, and the Hawks just made the wrong choice. And I, I don't want to pile on Marvin. That's something I always will ride for. Is that Marvin Williams is a good NBA player and was for quite some time. It's not his fault that he went number two overall ahead of Chris Paul. If Marvin goes fifth in that draft, no one blinks an eye. Um, but it's it's when you're compared directly, um, and it was the next pick to a again an unquestioned Hall of Famer, it makes you look worse, and it's not his fault. But alas, Billy Knight. Swing and a miss. He was trying to construct this um, sort of switchable, big, wing-driven team. And actually, that that approach makes more sense in 2020 than it did then. But at the same time, you pass on Chris Ball, and he was fantastic. So there you go. That's uh, another what-if for the ages for the Hawks. Um, I definitely heard all of the other suggestions. You know, the Dominique Wilkins trade is a famous one. I mean, before my time, in terms of just knowing a whole lot, I've obviously done a lot of reading about that. Um, in retrospect, and I was a, a conscious human at that point in time, but not not a fully formed adult <laughs> by that point when Dominique was traded. There's lots of different ones around, but uh, I think, honestly, in my entire time um, covering slash watching slash being a fan of the Hawks, the Chris Paul what if is probably the number one on my list, so I want to make sure I touched on that one at some point, and here we are. Okay, that'll do it for today's podcast. Please subscribe to the show. We've actually seen some uh, some 
maintenance of numbers, which has been nice. Um, I would say most podcast listening is down right now, which I understand, honestly, because people aren't commuting quite as much and they're not listening to as much board content. And honestly, there's no season at the moment. So I, I totally get that. But I appreciate all the faithfulness of people uh, riding with us. If you missed the last podcast with Robbie Cowan and The Last Dance, please check that out, as well as uh, previous shows on the draft. I have plenty of draft content coming. I've already done quite a bit already, but uh, it will help when we know when the draft is. But I have a positional series lined up, talking about a lot of different players in the next several weeks on the draft. We'll be here your sort of source for Hawks draft stuff, I promise. And uh, yeah, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy if you want to (laughs) about the show, and we'll see everybody next time.